Welcome to the Thrive Forward podcast, Miss Anmuzeg. You are a woman of many talents and you are a consultant. And today we're going to really talk a lot about some of the things that you are passionate about and making them a little bit more human. Mm-hmm. Anna is a consultant around policy and conduct and compliance, as well as how to framework some of those items into social media platforms. We have been providing insights around the wealth gap. And so Anna and I really wanted to have a conversation around how education plays a a huge role in some of the gaps we have around wealth in different various areas of life, specifically focusing on people of color and women within the wealth gap as well. So we'll share some statistics throughout our conversation. Otherwise, um, you get to see a completely different side of my best friend. I get to see the goofy side and maybe you'll see a little bit of that come out in our conversation as well. Um, but she's highly intelligent. She is a, um, attorney. So, uh, really uh, a lot smarter than me, uh, is what I usually say. (laughs) Uh, a lover of art, a multi-talented individual. Not only does she run her own consulting firm, but she also has her in own jewelry line which yeah we'll figure out how both of those go together but like passion project and passion project right Mm -hmm. yes yes definitely anything that I missed that you would want to share with everybody in that tumbled version of an introduction of you I, I, I think it's great. Um, again, my name is Anna Mazeg. I'm the owner of AM and Associates LLC, small consulting firm. Uh, we're based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, but we focus on compliance and policy, physical security, and threat assessment. And we can definitely go into those. Um, but I know that Shannon, when you and I were chatting a little bit about this, you had kind of asked, you know, what it was that that brought me, like what's the Mm -hmm. background that got me to the work. So I was a psychology pre-med major. My first experience with compliance was when I worked for the mental health side of an insurance company. Uh, There were a lot of steps and details to when we would do behavioral health intakes over the phone, uh, when I would investigate complex claims issues and things of the like. So fast forward to law school, I was an extern at the Minnesota Department of Human Services in their compliance office, and I essentially wrote policy for employees of the state, and I absolutely loved it, and I've stayed in that space since. A little bit about compliance for folks that don't know. Um, Sometimes organizations are afraid or scared. They're worried about compliance. And I want to let you know it isn't something to be afraid of. It's something actually to lean into. If you think about compliance being a set of standards that need to be met, then the policies and procedures that outline the purpose and steps when followed mean that an organization is compliant, right? You're, you're meeting these expectations. And so policies and procedures end up really boiling down to protection. It protects the organization, um, the employees, the customers or clients that are on the other end. And if we think about it, most people go into a line of work to help others, right? Not to harm. And so when policies and procedures are 
well-written and the organization believes in them, then accountability is established and built into the process and everyone benefits. And that's really what brought me to continue engaging in and, and really have a, a love and appreciation for compliance. I know being in the financial industry, everybody's like, don't talk to compliance. Like you're only in trouble when you have to talk to <laughs> compliance. And I'm like, they're really not that bad people. They just kind of tell us how to be in line. Right. And at the end of the day, yeah. I always say like, especially in our industry, compliance is the aspect of like, how are we going to serve our client the best? Yes. Yes, right? exactly. Exactly. How yeah. Right. And I think when we start to think about the wealth gap even more so, um, we see that there are strong discrepancies between income uh, yes. within specific races, uh, specifically Black, Latino, and white. And, um, you know, from that sense, um, the, you know, the median income for the United States, and these numbers are based off of the last census, which was in 2016, plug for census. If you have not completed your census, please make sure that you are accounted. Um, <laughs> yes, like the, the, these are important numbers so that we have accurate numbers, right? Um, the overall median income was $61,723. That's across the entire United States. For white families, it was actually higher than what the median is. Not by much, but still higher, um, by about $1,000 at 62,769. Now then it drops for Latino and Black families. Latino families, the median income. So median, again, you know, being the number that is exactly in the middle, not the average, right? So Latino families, it's 40,800. And Black families is a staggering 36,615. So if you're being raised in an aspect where, where income is already um, not at a place where you have tools and resources or your parents are working multiple jobs and don't have the ability to explain certain things to you um, because they're just trying to make ends meet in order to have a roof over your head and food on your plate, they don't have the ability to do some of those other things, right? And then we think about how does that carry forward? Well, I look at everybody else, so I have to go to a four-year school, and I had to get a four-year degree, and I'll take out student loans to get that. And then if I really want to be successful, I got to get advanced degrees, right? Because I need somebody to recognize me on a resume as somebody that's educated. And then what happens to all of that accumulated debt? Right. How do you use conduct and policy in a way that actually creates change so we don't end up in these situations? Right. From, from right. elementary education to, to higher ed, right? How do we look at those things and what are some things that individuals right now today could start looking at in their own communities? Sure. I mean, one huge piece is, um, and I, I go back to, you know, something I mentioned earlier, are we criminalizing a lack of financial resources at any point in time? Um, and do we provide information and knowledge in areas um, that can undo a harm that's, mm -hmm. that's someone is on the receiving end of? So when we're looking at policy, you know, first we have to look at it through a lens of equity, right? Um, there was an article I had read about uh, an elementary school where youth who were um, getting school, 
school lunches, if their parents weren't paying the school lunches, um, they, uh, they would get like a, a detention. Um, mm. and, and then there were other repercussions that were happening because their parents weren't able to pay for the school lunch, right? And then it becomes, well, are there situations where students actually aren't eating? Um, that becomes unethical. And, and there are ways to address those elements or th- those pieces, right? Um, but that's a prime example where I read that and I was like, well, first of all, we're criminalizing the fact that these parents are unable to pay for a, a lunch. So is there a lunch program that's available? Is this the lunch program that these students are a part of um, and that it's supposed to be helping and now is actually harming the student in some way because now not only are you know they getting a, a detention or having to stay in from recess because their parents are unable to pay for the lunch um, but then their friends are all aware that they're not able to go out to recess so then their friends are aware of their financial situation and we know that there's a lot of stigma around yes. um, poverty in in our country yes. um, and and so there are, there are layers to it, right? So, you know, uh, a great thing that somebody can do is say, I mean, in that particular example, hey, is there a lunch program? Can I donate money to the lunch program to, mm-hmm. to help out families who maybe can't pay? Um, or asking, you know, um, about, uh, like, in terms of conduct, are, what are the, the, what is the student code of conduct at the particular school, right? Are there... Uh, rules, for example, um, another situation, uh, rules that said um, a male student's hair couldn't be past their shoulders or couldn't touch their shoulders. Well, one, um, um, one boy had dreads. And so mm-hmm. it was like his option was to cut his, were to cut his dreads or no longer attend the mm-hmm. school that he had grown up in. The question becomes, is the standard that we're trying to refer things back to or bring things back to a standard of whiteness, or is it a, simply a standard that needs to be met, right? I can appreciate a school worry, being worried about hair that is quote, quote, unkept, right? But then we have to ask different types of questions, right? Like, well, why is it that a student may have unkept hair? Is it because they weren't able to get to a shower because their water was turned off? Is it because their family doesn't, don't have funds to be able to purchase shampoo and conditioner? Um, Did their brush break because who knows whatever reason unfolded? Um, I I was a guardian at Lightham at one point in time and there was a family that was living out of their car and um, one it's not okay for folks to be living out of cars for various reasons. Like it's one thing to, you know, that you, for those people who have like Instagram lives and they, they live out of a bus and. and yeah. That's a totally different that's, situation. Like, that's, that's a right, chosen life, that's right? Great, right. <laughs> and yeah. And here in Minnesota, if you've got a youth who's living in a car in the dead of winter, they're dealing with potentially negative 20 temperatures at night and they're trying to stay warm and then they're supposed to come to school and be focused on their schoolwork mm-hmm. it's uh, it's problematic at best you said this great like is the standard whiteness or is it a standard right and so when we look at that policy as white 
parents, we have to take a step back and we have to look at that policy and is it to benefit our children or all children? Right. If we again go back to conduct, right? If we think of a situation where a student may break a rule and it wasn't necessarily intentional to do it, how how is it that that would happen, right? What are some of the hypothetical situations that we could run through where a student would would break this rule about hair? Um, it's like, oh, well, if they have dreads or if um, they practice a particular religion that says they're not yes. supposed to cut their hair or if um, they come from a heritage where um, there are, there are um, other elements of um, spirit or soul, um, right? If, if we think of uh, uh, native belief systems around hair length and, and not cutting hair, like there are, there are layers to this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, reviewing with or view, reviewing through a lens of equity and also actually bringing the questions forward, right? So you can think of the hypothetical scenario where a student might break this rule. Um, and it doesn't mean that they were, you know, inherently doing something wrong or incorrect. Right. Um, and then it's like, okay, well, what is what is what is it that this rule is actually trying to get to versus what is the the outcome? What is the in, intention um, or or spirit of it versus what it is that's actually happening? Um, and so, okay, if if what we're saying is we want to support a look of professionalism among our students because that's what it is that we want them to come out of here with. Then we say, okay, then let's focus more on, you know, us coming from, <laughs> from private school to make sure their shirts are tucked in. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and they uh, have access or there's a teacher that has a, 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 you know, a pile of extra shirts for kids. I, I read, um, I can't remember if I read or listened to probably listened to cause I am a podcast junkie and I, there was an individual, um, principal who was talking about how he set up a barber shop in his mm-hmm. principal office because there were kids in his school who didn't have haircuts and didn't have the ability to have their parents or the funds to go get it. And so uh, their hair didn't follow the dress code. So he set up a barber shop. In, and what that did was not only provide empowerment for those kids having a fresh haircut, like, you know, when you leave the, the yeah. <laughs> you got that line up. I don't need any more <laughs> Instagram filters. I'm like bad mamma jamma. That's what dry shampoo is doing for me today. Um, <laughs> but, but what it did and he said was like, it wasn't just the haircut for the kids feeling confident. It was the relationships that he built with some of those kids. Cause some of those kids also ended up having behavioral issues because of the way they were cheated because their hair wasn't cut to a certain standard within the student handbook. Right. He was able to now have conversations with these young men in his office about what they were struggling with or what they could do. And he looked like them. So they opened up to him even more, right? Like that representation part of it matters so much. Um, in, in well, our, and in elements our around culture, right? Like, right. like the barbershop is known as a space to, um, to have banter and have honest conversation yes. and be able to open up 
Um, it's, it's not like people go for their haircut quick and leave. Like there's, there's a, a whole culture there and really understanding that. Um, similarly, you know, I would say then let's also review that policy, right? Because if, if the principal has to make a barber shop in their office to respond to a rule, then are there elements of the rule that are inherently problematic, right? Um, and are there other ways that we can be supporting our students generally um, that would be beneficial, right? So um, one of my clients has a food pantry that they run out of the school. And so once a week, um, students sign up for times, they get groceries um, and can get some personal hygiene products as well. And having something like that at a school makes a huge difference because now your school isn't only a place that you learn, but they support your ability to learn, right? To focus on your education by removing yeah. the barriers, the stress, the frustration about putting food on the table, being able to wash your hair, um, or, you know, for for women, feminine hygiene products can be really expensive. And so there are plenty of students who are like, I need these. I can't afford them. It's like, oh, because you're today you had to decide whether or not to eat or to get pads and tampons or what have you. Like that's right. again problematic, right? So like let's just eliminate some of these these issues and provide the support. Yeah. Oh, I feel like we could talk about um these topics. And we do um, in other formats besides the podcast. But I think that these are great um, elements. And, and is there anything else specific that you would leave individuals with when it comes to conduct policy and making action steps in their communities right now? Sure. So first asking your school um, or the school's dean of students, like what are the rules? What's what's the student handbook or student code of conduct? What, what rules are students being asked to follow? Review them yourself thoroughly with whoever it is that is is needing to follow these rules, right? If, it, if that means you're reviewing it with your kids or with um, a family member, nieces or nephews, if you yourself are in school and, and you're wondering, hey, what is it that I, um, I need to be doing? Read through those rules and think of situations like, could you find yourself or could someone else find themselves in a situation where they break the rule and the spirit of the rule maybe is, is, is kept, um, but the rule is broken nonetheless, right? And then from there saying, hey, we've got to make some changes and, and moving forward with asking leadership about how to make those changes. And if you have questions about this, I certainly invite you to feel free to reach out or contact me. Um, I know that it can be daunting and a little overwhelming for folks that don't have a policy background um, or, you know, their their equity lens is a little blurry and, you know, need some some help shining it up but that's not a problem. We can, we can clear it up. Oh, I love how you just said that though. Like your equity lens just needs some clearing up because I feel like that's a lot of folks right now too. And we can't move forward with a foggy lens, right? We got to be able to clear some things up. So I have one more question for you today. 
Uh, since Forethought Planning is a financial planning firm and a wealth management firm and coaching firm, we do all the things around money. What is your vision for wealth? Personally or, or broadly? Yeah, broadly and personally, whichever way you want to answer it. Oh, goodness, there's layers to this. Good question. Um, personally, I, I want to live comfortably and I know that that definition is very fluid for folks and that I can pass on wealth to generations that come after me because generational wealth is, is really important to me. Um, I think in a more global aspect that there is widely disseminated knowledge and information made accessible and available um, to folks who don't know what to do and have questions um, or who don't know where to find answers. Like, yes, it's, a, it's really easy for us to say, well, just just Google it, right? Like, just right. Google it. Um, but people who don't have wherewithal um, or, or a base level of knowledge in an area can't necessarily trust what it is that they're looking at when they do Google information. So making sure that the knowledge that is, is spread is... Um, is, is true and, and real and trustworthy. Oh, such a great answer. And every answer is great because it just defines who you are as an individual. And I think you're absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for being a part of the Thrive Forward podcast. And please make sure that you go follow Anna on social media. She does some great work around policy and conduct and also just life advice too. So you can follow her on multiple different platforms. We'll take them all in the show. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. Thank you.